If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. Bonsoir, Monsieur Dame. It is Sunday, October 20th, 2013, and you're now listening to Time with Sandra Radio. I'm your hostess, Sandra London of livinggrind.com, broadcasting to you live from the sunny beaches of <clears throat> Southern California. In connection with Blog Talk Radio, TuneIn Radio, 
iTunes, Digital Podcast, and Naked Girls Radio. The song you just heard at the top of the hour was Black Metal Rose. And right now, I will play for you. Uh, <laughs> where are you? Yes, Halloween Night <laughs> by Prophet43. And I'll be right back with you. The call in number is 858 
Well, I guess you may already know, since last weekend, uh, last Sunday, I did not broadcast. I'm so very, very sorry. I was quite fatigued. Um, so I missed last week's episode. I'm still sad about that. We're going to do a makeup session, but here we are, another Sunday. And here I'm going on along. I didn't do one in the meanwhile. So um, I would say stay tuned because I will likely do something um, throughout this forthcoming week um, just to fill it in. I don't know. I feel real weird when I don't do a show. It's weird. Anyways, um, before I go on with some more music, I did want to share that I did find a couple of really cute, um, some kind of scary, uh, like folklore spooky story type things. One's from a uh, uh, spooky North Carolina um, called Boo Hag. <laughs> One is from, eh, I just printed these out. One is from um, spooky Wisconsin. Um, it's called Yellow Ribbon. And then I might do one about the Yorona. It's a Mexican slash Californian um, Native American ghost story type thing. So I'm going to do that in a little while. They're not um, too terribly long. They're they're just wet. So I will do those readings, and I may also do a reading of uh, Snake Woman, uh, which is a story written by um, one of my listener, or, well, listeners and um, blog readers. Um, S- oh, I did to get that Sea Lover. There we go, Sea Lover, called Snake Woman. So I should do that also um, this evening. But in the meanwhile, let me see if I can find this song for you. Uh, This was on my website uh, quite some time ago, a few months ago, after I interviewed um, Sinister Fate. And I really like this song, and I hope you all do, or will as well. But um, I'll go ahead and share it right here. Um, And give me two seconds. But it's called Drop Dead Gorgeous, and it's by Sinister Fate. Here you go.
That was Drop Dead Gorgeous by Sinister Fate. So if you like that as much as I did, you can check out more of their music at SinisterFate.com. And they also have a pretty sexy, very creepy, but very sexy (laughs) video on YouTube for that song, for Drop Dead Gorgeous. And they're based out in Chicago. Um, What was I going to... Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking um, earlier of, like, hey, I'll go ahead and share, like, to me, I guess, the top disturbing movies that I've ever seen (laughs) in my whole life. And so when I mean disturbing, I mean movies that are, like, (sighs) I don't know, I suppose I could be happy that I saw it in a way, but where I don't really relish the thought of watching them again because of how... Um, how stimulating those movies were. So just real quick, I'm probably missing some um, uh, because I have seen quite a few movies in my lifetime. (laughs) But um, just off the top of my head, I'll list ten in no particular order um, that are like, yeah, like messed up (laughs) movies. So feel free to chime in or um, even if it's just in your head, <laughs> whether you have ever seen any of these, in, uh, seen any of these movies, or like I don't know your own. I guess you can't really call them favorite, <laughs> but your own most compellingly disturbing movies you've ever seen. All right, so one through ten. Let's see. One, Irreversible, with Monica Bellucci. Uh, two, The Heart Is Deceitful Above All Things. Three, Splice. No, yeah, that was weird. Four, Clockwork Orange. Five, Pan's Labyrinth. That gave me nightmares for a while. Six, uh, Teeth. Uh, seven, Gummo by Harmony Corrine. Um, eight, Kim Park. Nine, The Stoning of Soraya M. And ten, The Girl Next Door. Not the porno movie, no. <laughs> this is the Banaszewski, Gertrude Banaszewski being real mean to a child of, like, a circus family movie. Uh, Yeah, those are the most messed up movies I've ever seen in my life that I suppose I can, like, be grateful? No, not grateful. Um, Was somewhat worth seeing, but which I don't really want to see again. There you are. But um, (laughs) on the lighter side of things, let's see, five movies just off the top of my head that, like, they're scary and just really good um, to me. We're um, Haunting in Connecticut, The Last Exorcism, Haunting of Emily Rose, The Shining, and Pet Cemetery. All five of those I could watch, like, every night, literally. Like, they're just, I don't know, they're cool and scary. And, I don't know, that's my genre, those those types of movies, I suppose. But anyway, um, I will give you a song here real quick, and then I'll do one of those um, short little ghostly folklorish stories where you're listening and shivering at delight. But please enjoy, in the meanwhile, <laughs> uh, Happening for Lulu by Krauss from Free Music Archive. Here you go.
happening for Lulu by Krauss from Free Music Archive. Alrighty, um, I'll do a reading of um, Yellow Ribbon, a spooky Wisconsin story, uh, which was retold by S.E. Schlosser, uh, and I found this on AmericanFolklore.net. Hi, alrighty. Jane wore a yellow ribbon around her neck every day, and I mean every day, rain or shine, whether it matched her outfit or not. It annoyed her best friend, Johnny, after a while. He was her next-door neighbor and had known Jane since she was three. When he was young, he had barely noticed the yellow ribbon, but now they were in high school together. It bothered him. Why do you wear that yellow ribbon around your neck, Jane? He'd ask her every day, but she wouldn't tell him. Still, in spite of this aggravation, Johnny thought she was cute. He asked her to the soda shop for an ice cream sundae. Then he asked her to watch him play in the football game. Then he started seeing her home. And come spring, he asked her to the dance. Jane always said yes when he asked her out. And she always wore a yellow dress to match the ribbon around her neck. It finally occurred to Johnny that he and Jane were going steady. And he still didn't know why she wore the yellow ribbon around her neck. So he asked her about it yet again. And yet again, she did not tell him. (laughs) Maybe someday I'll tell you about it, she'd reply. Someday? That answer annoyed Johnny, but he stretched it off because Jane was so cute and fun to be with. Well, time fully passed, as it has a habit of doing. And one day, Johnny proposed to Jane and was accepted. They planned a big wedding and Jane hinted that she might tell him about the yellow ribbon around her neck on their wedding day. But somehow, what with the preparations and his beautiful bride and the lovely reception, Johnny never got around to asking Jane about it. And when he did remember, she got a bit teary-eyed and said, We're so happy together. What difference does it make? And Johnny decided she was right. Johnny and Jane raised a family of four, with the usual ups and downs, laughter and tears. When their golden anniversary rolled around, Johnny once again asked Jane about the yellow ribbon around her neck. It was the first time he'd brought it up since the week after their wedding. Whenever their children asked him about it, he'd always hush them, and somehow none of the kids had dared ask their mother. Jane gave Johnny a sad look and said, Johnny, you've waited this long. You can wait a while longer. And Johnny agreed. It was not until Jane was on her deathbed a year later that Johnny, seeing his last chance slip away, asked Jane one final time about the yellow ribbon she wore around her neck. She shook her head a bit at his persistence and then said with a sad smile, Okay, Johnny, you can go ahead and untie it. With shaking hands, Johnny fumbled for the knot and untied the yellow ribbon around his wife's neck. And Jane's head fell off. The end. (laughs) Yeah, that was Yellow Ribbon, a spooky Wisconsin story, which was retold by S.E. Schlosser and (laughs) re-retold by yours truly, Sandra London of livinggrind.com. So, yes, there you are. I'll be right back with you, but in the meanwhile, 
please enjoy this next song, I Live a Dream by Mr. Frizzo, and I'll be right back with you. Check this out. I dream of that, yo. Popping off and blowing my town. A million dollars in my pocket, fuck it, throw it around. I'm saying I get down. Hop up on these beats and just clown. Who you know like me? Natural superpower for sound. Trying to make you listen. You see, I got this vision. I see something huge in the future. They tell me I'm tripping. Then they tell me I'm sipping. Too much Hennessy mixers. And that the visions I've been seeing are just drunken pictures. I argue that assumption. Cause I know how I function. Motivation like sex aggressive when I'm top of something. And I feel sorry for you if you ain't striving for something. Cause a rich man without a dream is a man with nothing. You ain't gotta agree. This opinion is me. But like the best things in the world, dreaming is free. Can't argue with that. So love it or just leave it peace. I never let it go so easily. Only one place for me to I be. Live in. I live a dream. I live a dream. I live a dream. And I don't wanna wake up. I live a dream. I live a dream. I live a I hope I never come back. I live up.
Vivian, where the fuck do you think you're going? I'm right here, Sam. What do you want from me? I haven't seen Rosemary since Friday night. Last I knew, she was with you. Oh. Oh, oh all you could say is, oh, don't fucking keep secrets from me. What have you done with my heart? Uh, you think I have something to do with her being so suddenly MIA? Maybe I should be asking you, mister. Don't get cute with me. Cut the shit. Tell me where she is. This is no time for your silly little mind games. And why are you wearing the necklace I gave her? You really want to know? Of course I do. Fine. If you must know, I'll tell you. I found her in the bath. A leg splayed over the rim of the tub. Her red hair shaved and stubbly over her plump vaginal lips. Her other lips were bruised. A shockingly sensual shade of violet. Her fingers were clenched tightly, grasping at something unknown, but decidedly uninvited. Those eyes. I chose not to take more than a passing glance. They had obviously seen it all. But they were stuck, fixated, capturing me forevermore. And they were judging me. Why did they continue to do that? Why are they still? <sighs> Shall I pluck them out? Ugh, Rosemary, Rosemary, Rosemary. Even in death, she mocks me. You should have seen it coming, soon. <sighs> that bitch. I just can't help the fact that I love you. Parfois savoir se perdre avant de pouvoir trouver quelque chose. Est-ce qu'il y a des serpents ici
Okay. Did you bring the stockings? I see you're wearing them, actually. Yes, sir. That's more than that bargain for. Really? Oh, well, they go on forever. And ever. And ever. They look very nice. So, where are we heading? To heaven. Oh, I'm taking you there. Is that it? I'm counting on it. Count me in. All I need is the briefcase. Okay. Half a million like we talked today. Awesome. Well, <clears throat> let's get started, shall we? You ready? I am. Oh, yeah, baby. Listen, 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 pay attention. I am from the place where repenting is a crime. I do airplane in the sky. Sitting in my room, spitting poems to myself. And my AKG never play deep. Airplane, airplane, airplane in the sky. And I'll do this shit you 
won't test me because I got the brains and the bronze of a tyrant. I am never violent. I am never silent. I'm forever airplane in the sky. Kid, I am a slob when I'm spitting. Rappers, itis, listen to me because I'm like King Midas. Got that golden touch, got a golden Dutch honeys. They never get me for my money cause I'm dug like funny airplane, airplane. Dig, Digging up your grave, airplane. bigger than the hay airplane. Niggas wanna hay, uh, niggas need to date yep. themselves because they gay airplane. And as the shit plays, I be getting paid Every day and I get chips like Lay's uh, I can't have just one uh, never uh, Yeah, yo, because forever I will sever your head If you try to get airplane, airplane. have your uh, mo dead uh, Then I be like, uh, girl, can you give me mo? Airplane. Yo, Agnes, I was on with that baddest Bitch that was her name, she was like a radish, all red bubble, but she got the bubble gun. When I stick it in her, she be shitting for a couple months. Cause I love to cunt, I love to put, yo, I love to push. And I love to get it every day, like to hit it every way. I don't give a fuck because the kid will forever spray. Word. With the sneeze guard, with the mouth spitting, written from the dome. Listen, there's a shit, these poems out like say, airplane, airplane, airplane. Oh, food, that process, I am. On the airplane, not in the projects. I'm in the studio with a fat booty hoe. Really, really straight like an arrow. Got my eye on the sparrow. I am like the pharaoh of HIP. HOP. Never stop me because I'm so airplane, airplane, airplane. I will rock these speakers, make them explode, implode till the low blows. Like when I goes on your girl's nose because I'm a pro and she's a fucking airplane, airplane in the sky. I came with that because I'm in. Insane and I blame the rap Because I blame the weed and I blame the elk and I blame the talcum I blame the powder I blame the chowder I blame the sound If I'm playing around and I flame your town Now the name is now Airplane in the sky Because I'm ripping it and flipping it and getting it good Because I'm sitting in the women when I'm in the wood Airplane in the sky Bitches, they tell me tons of things Tell me that they love me cause the way that the brothers sing Picking up the pieces, picking up the reason Picking up the sonar, uh, I am fucking so raw airplane. Yeah, because I rip every day with uh, my AKG uh, uh, Who's gonna play with me because yeah. I'm so fucking spacey yeah. I am that dude because I never, never snooze And I never, ever walk because I'm always on the grind And I'm always on the grind And I'm always flying higher than an airplane in the sky
I should mention at the outset that a snake woman is a term primarily used in the South and or by Southerners to describe a witchy woman, a seductress, sultry, slinky, supremely erotic in a sublimely teasing way. In practice, it also means a woman who operates simultaneously on multiple levels, socially, romantically, sexually, and in that context, it seems to me that the term must be taken as a compliment, even if not always intended as such, by the one making the characterization. I hope that part one of the story has served to convince the reader that Amy was a true snake woman, or as her brother once drolly put it to me over lunch in the cafeteria, that woman could <laughs> that woman could recite proofs whilst taking it up the ass. Again, brotherly love at its finest. As a reminder, this remains a completely true story, warts and all, as you will see if you dare to peer enough into the future. The dialogue is, to the best of my memory, with some specific phrases and lines standing out vividly in my recollection. So there we were, naked, boozy, on a futon in the guest bedroom of my townhouse in Crofton, Maryland. The moody blues were on, nights in white satin album, unparalleled lovemaking music, even today. I had spent a fair amount of time, effort, and treasure intriguing and seducing and more recently preparing the woman who has just offered me her luscious treasures, and she's teased my cock to thrilling, quivering rigidity. All she asked was a kiss as the price of admission. As I settled beside her, I realized I was in one of those rare but delicious moments in our lives when we were aware of historic import in real time. Thus, I actually was able to will myself to freeze and record the event so as to be able to regard myself from afar and thereby revel in the delicious perfection of the experience. I know it fulfilled the process for me, enhanced my performance as a lover, and as you might come to see, impacted on much more after that. I moved my lips towards hers, but paused, our foreheads just touching Then I slid my nose around her face and allowed the nape of my beard to caress her cheek like a chamois. She murmured as I tilted her head back to first lick under her jawline, then chew gently on her neck. All this time, one hand, the other was keeping me balanced, was cupping, stroking, caressing her pendulous upper tit as she lay on her side beside me, more delicately than I had ever done. On some instinct, I didn't touch the butt at all, but just squeezed the meat until she moaned softly. My mouth traced a path to her lips, dragging the rasping tongue the whole way. When she felt my tongue touch her lips, she seized on it, arms encircling me and turning her head 90 degrees, consuming my mouth with her own. My horn bent forward and flattened against her middle belly, and she whimpered. Now I split the hand to her nipple and pinched the cap very tightly. I felt her nails dig into my back as my trailing fingers dragged down the length of her torso until they found her seam and drew her moisture to the surface. After some minutes of these caresses, she broke the contact 
panting and scratched my chest hair as she spoke breathily. If you don't put it in me real soon, I'm going to cry. She looked at me with an exaggerated pout, and then her eyes sparkled mischievously as she continued. You don't want to make me cry now, do you, lover? Never, ever, I whispered as I gently pushed her shoulder to lay her down. She opened for me, exposing, for the first time, the oval entrance to the cave at the core of her dense jungle. I asked the obligatory question, do I need a rubber? I put my diaphragm in halfway through dinner, she giggled nastily, betting on the cum. I smiled at the double entendre and recalled her having excused herself briefly to freshen up. I slid onto her belly, at once muscular and slightly pooched out, and reveled in her warmth. While I locked on to Amy's eyes, I used one hand to slowly slide the cap of my rigid tool up and down her furrow, gathering moisture from her well-lubricated seam and parting her surprisingly meaty lips. Feeling the soft and downy texture of her crack tickled me as I went. I was pleased to feel her belly flutter beneath mine as I teased her clit tip. I found the hole and positioned myself to push while I looked down on her gorgeous body from the ends of my extended arms. She entwined her legs behind my calves and looped her fingers behind my neck, pulling me to her. But then I sank onto and into Amy for the first time, skin to skin, she told me later that my face my face looked much like I remember hers. As I watched her take me into her, eyes slowly widening, mouth slowly opening into a silent O. Then my face was on her shoulder, smelling her hair, feeling her chest pushing into me, her nipples like bullets. I gasped as she caressed me internally the very first time I ever encountered a Western woman with trained kegel muscles. We moved slowly together, not sliding our bodies in and out, but rolling them against each other, like boats on the sea, my pubic bone grinding her clit in slow circles, like a clove of garlic being mashed in a pestle. I moved to cup her tit, scraping the rubbery nipple around my chest, tangling it in my chest hair, Then I gently chewed on her earlobe and licked her ear, making her shiver and squeeze me inside her. She turned her face and sought me, and we kissed far more gently than either of us felt. It seemed like I had an obligation to say something. Oh, Amy, I... She shushed me gently. Hush up and enjoy it, lover. Sometimes you say more by just feeling... She was right, of course, and we moved gently together for many minutes. It was a delicious fuck, one of the very best of my life ever until that point, or even now. Soon enough, she dilated and started to moan more loudly, her eyes shut as she clung to me. I felt her quiver and groan as I explored her, seeking the unique paths to this woman's pleasure. And then she came. Suddenly, and by me that first time, unexpectedly, 
I felt her tunnel quiver and flutter, her whole body stiffen, then her back snapped like a bowstring, and she screamed. I was startled for a second and pushed my arms away instinctively, but she grabbed at me, actually snarling, and clung to me like a leech, belly to belly and nipple to nipple, while she thrashed and shivered. After a bit, the tremors abated and her eyes opened slowly. I knew you'd be good, she whispered. She kissed me so gently, I thought I was going to actually cry. I felt it was the greatest compliment a lover had ever paid me. Pick me up, lover. I want to ride you now. All too happy to oblige, I slid my arms under her strong waist and lifted Amy until she was sitting, facing me in my lap. I was still strongly linked inside her belly, and she giggled as she ground her clit onto my pubic bone, then gasped as I pushed against the entry into her cervix, the thin rubber of her diaphragm, the only thing that kept me from piercing her womb in that position. Mm-hmm. Lay back, lover. Let me do the work now. Amy gently pushed my chest to make me lie down, her dangling tits bouncing delightfully from the effort. The next ten minutes were arguably the most delicious moments of my sex life ever. I was treated to a full-spectrum, multi-sensor experience as I watched, and certainly felt, her slowly post on my prick like a show writer. She stared at the junction of our bodies and seemed to be thrilled at our union, adding a visual dimension to our multi-sensory lovemaking. The sight of her, as her eyes glazed from watching me disappear inside her, coupled with what she must have felt as a result. Well, you just had to be there. She leaned back and leered at me as she gave me a full frontal show, then rubbed her clit gently, collecting secretions from her own earlier orgasm, and fed them to me on her fingertips. As I slurped them hungrily, I felt her seize me. I moaned and sucked hard on her fingers in my mouth, and that made her shiver. I had slowly moved my hands to her sides, and she sighed as she felt me rise up her torso. Scraping the tips of my fingernails across her belly, she mooled like a kitten. Her nipples popped. Then I closed my fingers, thumb and forefinger around each, and gently pinched and rotated them. She whined and began to buck on me, making me have to concentrate to remain inside her. Give it to me, she panted, just like this, inside. I can last longer, I said helpfully. Why wouldn't I want this to go on forever? Hmm. Amy smirked at me in a way that I saw many times thereafter and eventually came to know Mitt. You think so, do you? Then she cheated. She reached a hand behind her, arching her back to make her belly pooch out a little. The hand went straight to my balls, but then it kept going. Oh, she knows about the perineum, I thought. Well, it won't be easy. I'll fight it. Problem was, that wasn't her target. When I felt her at the gate, I realized that it was too late. Oh! Amy slid her thin index finger into my asshole more easily than any proctologist in my experience. Somehow, knowing just how hard to push and no harder, she found my prostate. 
and then it was game over, and we both knew it. Amy's face locked onto mine, and she smiled thinly between lidded, smoky eyes. Energy crackled between us, and she sent me a psychic message. You worked hard enough for it, and you earned it. Now you just relax and enjoy the ride, lover. So I did. I threw back my arms in mock surrender as Amy gently stroked my prostate, squeezed my cock with her inner belly, rolled her hips into my pubic bone to delight her own clit. Then, as her own sap began to rise, she leaned forward and dangled her fat orbs in front of my face. I lunged for a spigot and suckled hungrily as she first groaned, then watched, then whimpered. And it was in just that way, that pose, those moments, that we were united in every way imagined by God that doesn't involve a church. We did not so much explode in mutual orgasm as we did melt into each other to form a single, complex alloy, an insight that only came to me much later on deep reflection. We both shouted to thank the universe for such a moment of utter bliss, such sublime union, and we roared and cried and moaned together. When the spasms finally passed for both of us, we were lying in a single, breathless, panting, mixed heap of goo, sweat, and flesh. That was so nice, I said softly and held my breath for a reply, an affirmation. It came right away. You're so sweet. I've come to know there's little higher praise from a freshly fucked woman, unless it's what followed, as she reached over to smack me on the lips playfully, and real sexy. She snuggled into my shoulder like a kitten, ignoring the smear of rapidly chilling juices of various kinds that were pooling underneath us. You got a blanket for us, hon? Um, sure. Do you want to go to my bedroom? She shook her head. Nope. I like it here. Sorry, broke in. You're going to stay here with me, I hope. Just try to get me to leave. I made the needed assurances. For my part, I was really, really happy. If she had wanted to talk, I would have stayed up all night with her. But she was tired. She had been massaged, fucked, come twice, expertly serviced her lover, and now it was time to sleep. And just one more minute. She hopped up and pranced quickly to the bathroom, giggling. <laughs> Probably ought to wash my hands, don't you think? I heard her wash, then pee. She didn't bother to close the door. Never ever did from that day forward, actually. I organized the blankets, lay on my back, and shook my head. This one is going to be a challenge. And as things turned out, she was indeed. The end. That was Snake Woman. My early experiences with Amy, part two, a true romantic history, <laughs> um, submitted to me by Sea Lover, Sir Sea Lover, um, uh, know, quite some time ago, last year, 2012. Um, and yes, I hope you liked it. And I'm locked out of my computer. Hold on two seconds. <laughs> I'll give you some music, and I'll be right back with you. Um, the call in number is 858. 8152333 once again 
Radio, and you're about to listen to my hot audio erotica. This story is called The Nymph. It's about my alter ego, Sandrine, an insatiable nymph who captures the heart and heart ons of men. Hello everyone, you're watching Sandra London TV. Tonight I'm going to read for you my story which was recently published on everynighterotica.com. It's called The Nymph. You're watching Sandra London TV. <laughs> okay, here's a brief synopsis. It's an introduction to my alter ego, Sandrine, who is my inner succubus, an insatiable nymph who lavishes in her fixation with sex, stealing the hearts of men, and hiding behind her innocent-looking angel face and textbook smart. Now here's the story. I am undoubtedly shameless and something of a cunt. At 
at least when it comes to sex and men. I've always known that it is in my, both my best interest and my worst to use the power inherent from birth to wile and beguile and get my way. The strongest power in mankind is that of the woman. For what other reason would woman be here on earth, physically weaker, smaller, with more delicate sensibilities, other than to balance out the alpha male prototype of strength, size, and a harder sense of reality? But what happens when the mindset of this masculine energy is encompassed and well hidden in a delightful female form? What do men want? Everyone already knows. Girl. Sex. Tits. Pussy. Ass. A warm, friendly smile. Even the possibility of a promise or glimmer of hope that a woman will look their way and want to be near enough to allow him to smell her essence, her sweat, her perfume, her saliva, her hair, her heat. Well, I want to give it to them. I've been lucky enough to achieve so much, shocking to many. I am young and look even younger. I am youthful. I am smart. I am pretty. But every morning that I awaken, I am not satisfied. I want more. I want men. I want power. It is a hunger with no known cure. I am doomed. And I love it. I play in this life. In this world. I win. I don't lose. I wait. I lie in wait. I lay in wait. This sort of hunger drives me, compels me, beckons me forward into the bright, sorry, bright rays of sunshine, peeking through in the dawning of the day. It peaks as the day rolls into night. My wings spread in the dark. My legs spread in the face of men, in the sight of a man in a state of lust. I swoon at the glimpse of the raging, throbbing flesh of manhood that likes what it sees. I like that it's me. This hunger is my nourishment. It is present in all things. You see, I have this look, this walk, this body, my eyes, sometimes hazel, sometimes gray, were fashioned after the black cat, notorious in folklore for their dangerous, seductive, and foreboding stare under brooding lids. My walk, my strut, the wiggle in my hips that tells of my extensive years of training in ballet, jazz, modern dance, and more erotic pose. My chest steps forward. My head is held high, exposing my delicacy. My dainty neck, showcasing my supposed vulnerability. My tits, perky, proud pillows, throwing up off my otherwise bliss frame. <clears throat> I pretend I don't notice, but sometimes I really do forget. It is only when I'm awakened from some daydream or intense concentration that I realize how alive, too alive, I am actually being at that moment. Perhaps my, nip my nipples have begun to peek out over the top of my bra and is visible even through my blouse, in a crowded room, or at the dinner table, or in some other location which had until that moment, been absolutely devoid of overt sexual distraction. Or, there are times when a simple sigh, after a long day of flitting about, completing this errand or that, in which that sigh sounds more like an orgasm, a whimper, a cat's meow, 
It is not intentional. It is not forced. It is inherent, ingrained, natural, a nymph in human form, conscious, unconscious. And that's the end. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you'll come back. Bye-bye.
Yes. That was The Fallen uh, by Serpent Underground. Alrighty. Okay, so I'll do um, the Boohag reading real quick. Um, this is from Spooky, North Carolina, uh, retold by S.E. Schlosser, uh, and now re re-retold <laughs> by yours truly, Sandra London of livinggrind.com. Alrighty, here we go. You know how they say some folks are lucky at cards and some are lucky at love? Well, that fit Bobby Hansen to a T. He was the best poker player in the county, but somehow he couldn't find himself a bride. Oh, he proposed to several girls and even got accepted by a few, but they always got cold feet a day or two before the wedding, and it was bye-bye Bobby. After the third time, Bobby was mighty discouraged, and his pa felt real sore for him. They worked together in the family grocery store, and Bobby would sometimes sit on top of the pickle barrel and tell his pa all his woes. And his pa told him to hang in there because a nice lady was on her way. Neither of them believed it, but it made both of them feel better to hear it said. Well, the day after their latest talk, the old woman who pulled her barge through the swamp to deliver milk and eggs to the grocery store had a long talk with Bobby's pa. Seems she had this daughter who was hankering after her husband with a good, steady job, and the old woman thought Bobby would do the job just nicely. She suggested they introduce the pair at the next dance, and Bobby's pa agreed. The night of the dance, Bobby's pa insisted that his son dress in his best. Bobby was dragging his feet a little, remembering all those women who played him false and not wanting to go, but his pa dragged him out anyway. Well, the moment Bobby clapped eyes on the dark-eyed, red-lipped girl from the swamp, he was head over heels in love. Her eyes sparkled like the sunlight on the bay. Her skin was as creamy as new milk. Her voice was low and sweet. The pair cuddled and cooed and waltzed the whole night long. And come sunrise, Bobby was all for bringing his new love before the visiting priest who delivered his sermons in the grocery store, since there weren't no church in that vicinity and get married right away. Well, the girl was willing to get married, but not by a priest. Let's just go to Beaumont and have the judge marry us, she said to Bobby, and he was so smitten he agreed. There would have been quicker and easier to just walk a mile down the road to see the priest. By the next evening, they were wed, and Bobby brought his pretty bride to the nice little cottage he rented just down the road from the family grocery. It had a nice front porch with a swing, a big bedroom on the second floor, and a big attic with a window that could be made up into a second guest room should his new mother-in-law care to visit from her home in the swamp. After fixing him a nice dinner, Bobby's new bride sat a while in the rocking chair near their bed while Bobby yawned and watched her fondly. She cuddled under the blanket and knitted and hummed, and Bobby's eyes grew heavy. He didn't wake up till early morning when his new bride crept into bed all hot and sweaty and fell asleep at once. When he asked her where she'd been, she wouldn't answer him. Bobby was mighty sore that his bride had snuck out on him on their wedding night, but when she got snappish and her eyes blazed like they did when he questioned her, he grew frightened and backed down. Life took on an odd pattern for Bobby. During the day, everything was perfect. His wife was sweet and pretty and loving. She kept the house sparkling clean and kept him wonderful meals. But each night, she refused to come to bed after supper. 
like their wedding night. She sat up singing and rocking and knitting till he was asleep and did not come to bed till just before dawn. She was always sweaty and cranky when she came to bed and went to sleep before Bobby could question her. Bobby was very confused and upset by this behavior and finally confided in his pa one morning after opening up the grocery store. Bobby's pa was awful worried. The visiting priest had gone on to his next parish, and there was no one they could consult but the local conjure woman. So he sent Bobby to her with a couple chickens as a gift. The conjure woman knew all about hoodoo magic and was an excellent herbalist. Local folks went to her when they were sick on account of the doctor lived nigh on 20 miles away. When she heard Bobby's story, she told him to pretend to go to sleep that night and watch what his new bride did. Then he was to come back and tell her everything. Bobby agreed. The next evening, he pretended to fall asleep while his bride rocked and sang in her chair. Then he followed her up to the attic and watched through the crack in the open door as she sat down at the spinning wheel and spun off her skin, leaving only pulsing red muscles and blue veins. She was a terrifying sight, leaving only pulsing red... Oops, sorry, sight. And she sprang through the window and flew away into the night. Bobby ran out to the privy and was sick after he saw her. Who, what was this monster he had married? He was still trembling and in shock when his bride, looking like a normal person again, crept into bed at dawn and he had trouble behaving normally at breakfast. As soon as he could get away, Bobby ran to the home of the conjure woman and told her about the spinning wheel and a terrible skinless creature flew away from this attic. A boo hag, the conjure woman said at once. You've married a boo hag. What's a boo hag? asked Bobby. A boo hag is a witch and shapeshifter, said the conjure woman. She lures men into her trap and then delivers them to her boo daddy, who eats their flesh and gnaws their bones. And that's what she'll do to you if you don't get rid of her first. The conjure woman told Bobby to get himself some blue paint. As soon as the boo hag left the house that night, he was to spread blue paint on every window frame and every door frame and make sure it was two coats thick. A boo hag couldn't fly through a window or door that was painted blue, and if she didn't get back into her skin before dawn, she would be trapped without it and be revealed for the monster she was. So he was to leave one tiny window unpainted and keep it open a sliver so the boo hag could squeeze through. Then he was to fill up her skin with salt and pepper, which would burn her up from the inside out. And Bobby promised to do exactly as the conjure woman said. That night, Bobby lingered over his dinner, looking with sad eyes at the pretty woman sitting opposite him. He knew she was really a monster inside, but it was so nice to have a little wife in his home. He hated like anything to see her go, but he didn't want to get eaten by a boo daddy, and that was his fate if she stayed. So he went up to their bedroom and pretended to fall asleep while she rocked and sang and knitted. Then he followed her quietly upstairs and put salt and pepper into her skin after her ugly, red-muscled, blue-veined cigarette flown out of the window to her boo daddy. He spent the rest of the night painting over every door and window frame with blue paint, leaving only one small, unpainted window open in the cellar. He nailed it up so that it would open no further than a crack, just as the conjure woman instructed him. Then he hid himself behind a large chest of drawers up in the attic to wait for the boo hag. Just before dawn, the boo hag came flying up to the attic window. As soon as she touched the blue frame, she gave a shriek of pain and rage. 
Bobby listened as she flew around the house, testing each window and door and howling like a banshee when it burned her skinless hands. Then she found a little window in the cellar, and he heard the thump as she landed beside it, followed by a painful whimpering sound as she squeezed and squeezed herself through the narrow opening, her skinless red muscles and blue veins tearing painfully against the rough wood. The boothag ran up three flights of stairs into the attic and squeezed and squeezed into her skin as fast as she could. She just barely got it on when the first light of dawn shone over the horizon. And that was when the salt and pepper did their work, burning the boothag's body from the inside out. With a scream of agony, she flew herself out the attic window. The glass shattered everywhere. She tried to fly away, tearing at the skin to get it off, but it was too late. She exploded into tiny pieces right over the swamp, and the alligators had them a mighty feast of cooked boo for breakfast that morning. So, Bobby was, once again, without a wife, but bachelorhood looked much better to him after that, and he never went looking for a wife again. Of course, after he made a pile of money and oil, (laughs) the girls started chasing him. But that's another story. The end. <laughs> that was Boohag from Spooky, North Carolina, retold by S.E. Schlosser, re-retold by yours truly, Sandra London of livinggrind.com. Oh, oh, such terrible creatures, we women folk, eh? <laughs> yeah, no. But anyways, hope you enjoyed that story very, very much. And before I forget, as promised, um, I wanted to give a shout-out to CamModelDirectory.com, um, which has a lovely listing of beautiful, beautiful ladies. And they're not witches unless unless you want them to be. Yeah. <laughs> that would be CamModelsDirectory.com. And they have a banner on my website, LiveAndGrind.com, a.k.a. to live and grind in LA.com where you can check them out and see more lovely, lovely ladies. But there we are. Alrighty, so as this evening comes to a close, I bid you um, good night and sweet dreams, and see you next Sunday. And before then, because I'm going to do a makeup episode for Missing Last Sunday. So sadie, so sadie. Yes. So yeah, that's all. <laughs> yes. Okay, so take care. Talk to you all soon, and... Buona sera, good night, good night. Um, yeah. <laughs>
O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. <laughs> 